take a look at the bond market now. After the Bank of England cut its key rate, there was a big rally in U.K. gilts. Those are uh, 10-year U.S. Uh, Treasury bonds in the United Kingdom. In fact, there was a global bond market rally. We want to bring back to our show now Marvin Lowe. He's Senior Global Market Strategist at BNY Mellon. So, Marvin, uh, isn't it so funny? Earlier in the week, it was, oh, the Japanese uh, bond market route was, you know, maybe it was the end of the global bond market rally. Huh. Looks like today maybe it's not over yet. Every day brings a different surprise, doesn't it? It sure does. What do you think? Um, you know, uh, we did get um, the amount of stimulus that we had expected. What uh, the Bank of Japan uh, didn't do earlier this week was deliver what the market had thought. Uh, in this case, there was, uh, you know, really pretty much 100% odds that um, the Bank of England was going to cut their interest rates. They did, um, but they also reintroduced uh, bond buying, uh, which included corporate bonds for the first time for the BOE. So it did kind of almost over-deliver, and, you know, like you said, we had uh, a pretty nice rally in, um, in gilts, but that did carry over into most of the other sovereign bond markets, uh, Japan being an exception to that. Um, and for the U.S., you know, we continue to push uh, yields kind of the middle point of this range, but, you know, definitely lower again. Marvin, uh, should we read anything uh, beneath the surface? Is the uh, global economy really that bad that we've got the Bank of England lowering rates 25 basis points? Is it really that terrible that this is necessary? Well, you know what? Um, so uh, Brexit definitely changes uh, all the rules, if you will, because we really don't know how it's going to evolve. Uh, you can make the argument that the Bank of England was a little bit aggressive in making a move right now, but you know, Mark Carney was pretty pretty pointed in his belief that there was going to be a slowdown in um, uh, in the UK economy, and he acted based based on that. And uh, the prevailing thought was that there is going to be a spillover effect into other economies. So I think we're going to continue to see this dovish type of commentary come out of at least three of the four uh, bigger central banks, you know, the Fed being the exception, which is still saying that they're in a position to, uh, to raise rates this year. So, uh, and this seems to be uh, one of the tough things for the Fed. Actually, if you look at WIRP, those are World Interest Rate Projections, a very important page on your Bloomberg where you can check out the odds of the Fed's next rate hike going meeting by meeting. You look at Bank of Japan, all the big nation central banks, now there's no there, the odds of a of a rate hike don't move above 50% in the Fed funds futures market view until the end of next year. That was already at September. Now, granted, they may be underpricing when the Fed's going to move, but that idea seems to be that you know it's getting harder and harder for the Fed to hike rates because the rest of the world is going the opposite direction. They don't want to be the odd central bank out. I think I think you got a spot on, and and I will um, uh, I will promote WIRP. Also, I use that, I use that page pretty much every day. Um, the market is definitely looking at the Fed's words in a very skeptical eye. Um, the we, you know whether it's the GDP number that we had, uh, whether it's the you know bouncy employment number. I guess we'll see whether or not um, last month's employment report was more indicative of where um, jobs were in the U.S. or the one before that, which showed a, a very weak job market, but um, you know the, the market is expecting the ECB to do something. The market is expecting more from the Bank of Japan. Uh, the market is expecting, and 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 uh, pretty much the uh, Bank of England said that they would be ready to act, to act if they needed to. It makes it really hard for the Fed in that type of environment. Does it just make it easier and less expensive for governments to borrow and issue lots of debt, whether it's the U.S. Treasury or whether it's the uh, U.K. Treasury? 
Yeah, bar, bar and costs are, are definitely low. Um, so from a mathematical perspective, um, you know, when they issue debt, it is going to cost less. When they're going to, when they refinance older bonds with higher coupons, it's going to cost less. But there is so much debt that's being issued, and um, it doesn't take much of a backup in yields to really start to worry people. Um, the next part of the the accommodation uh, slash stimulus stimulus discussion has started to um, uh, go down the route of helicopter money and, you know, whether or not that would really make investors uncomfortable uh, is something to be seen. You know, Carney today said that he was not a fan of helicopter money. Uh, Carney said today that he, um, and this is the the Bank of England governor, um, said that he was not a fan of negative yields. So uh, we're not expecting that to come out of the Bank of England, but that is kind of the next stage when the tools become uh, far scarcer and the efficacy, the efficacy of what they're doing uh, is questioned. Well, uh, and he was quite adamant, wasn't he? He's uh, definitely in, in, in league with uh, Fed Chair Janet Yellen that negative interest rates or negative bond yields anyway, certainly not not something he's heading toward. Uh, and of course, uh, it's possible too that he does not face the same kind of situation, for example, the Bank of Japan does, right? I mean, yes, the UK economy is going to take a big hit from Brexit. And Carl Weinberg from High Frequency Economics said the same thing earlier on the show today that you just said. There's no precedent for Brexit. Nobody is, no one can say in two years where the U.S. the U.K. economy is going to be, but it went into all of this with, remember, up until the Brexit worries, maybe uh, the U.K. was going to see a rate hike. So maybe that's another reason he's not going to consider it. He doesn't have to. Well, you know, I'll, I'll say that I was encouraged that he was as adamant about not going into the negative yield regime or, or, or really um, dead set against it. And I was encouraged that um, he really dismissed the concept of helicopter money. So it certainly makes the argument that that is one of the reasons the Fed wants to hike rates if they can, uh, because it would give them a few more options. And remember, it, it's not like they have a whole lot, but being able to start a bond buying program again, being able to actually cut rates and not have them in negative territory, territory already uh, is an advantage that at least the BOE and the Fed has um, so they can um, take that hard line and, and hopefully uh, give the market a little bit of comfort that we're not going down there. But uh, we, you once again get into an area where there's not a lot of room if, in fact, these economies turn or there is a big financial shock. And, and, and that is this ongoing concern that we've had for you know quite some time because um, we're not seeing the growth that one would expect this late in um, an accommodation cycle, and there just are not that many traditional tools that are left in their toolbox. Well, Marvin, you just said it. If all of the action that they have taken after the financial debacle of 2008, if the action for lower interest rates has produced anemic growth and continues to produce anemic growth, or at least you have it concurrently, why don't they stop doing that? I mean, isn't that the definition of the crazy thing, right? I mean, you know, if you keep getting the same result, stop. You know, absolutely great question. We would be second-guessing as to whether or not things would be far worse, so that certainly would be their argument. Um, to have but that's a, th it's a pretty thin um, – I mean, I'm not saying it's your argument. I'm just saying but that's a, that's a pretty, you know, thin uh, uh, basis on, on which to, you know, base, uh, you know, global monetary policy. Yeah, and, um, and uh, you know, Governor Carney was uh, quite adamant in his 
um, in answering one of his statements where um, I believe someone asked about either negative interest rates and or what savers should do, and he was of the approach that, you know, we think that X number of people are going to lose their job and we can't stand by. So while it is kind of a thin argument, it's an argument that I believe a lot of these central bankers hold true to heart. Um, we've kind of heard that come out of Draghi before, uh, and we've heard and, and read about um, about how the Fed kind of views its extraordinary policy as Okay, but, but Marvin, let, let, let's just suppose that some of your clients actually received a decent yield on their bonds. What would they do with that money? Would they not go out and spend it in the economy? Um, you know, absolutely, it would be a better environment for savers. And, um, again, uh, you and I, I think, are, are coming from the same approach where we think that this um, really artificially low rate environment is not – doing what uh, it's supposed to do from 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 the um, economic perspective at the same time we've got central bankers that do not seem to be comfortable allowing volatility to come to the market for any extended period of time and we see them time and time again uh, go in and try to quash that volatility whenever it spikes and unfortunately those periods of volatility seem to be more frequent um, slightly you know more acute and the responses um, from the central banks come quicker, and it's really this vicious cycle that we find ourselves in. Well, you know, I think I could take the other side of this, too. So let's imagine a world where central banks start raising their key rates. Let's say the Bank of England raised the key rates. People would sell those or buy those gilts so fast, push up that price, push the yield down even further because they'd say, oh, my gosh, he's going to make what could be a mild recession into a deep recession. I think the presumption is here that central banks alone control what the bond market does. There's a lot of investors out there making decisions. Now, true, if, if they keep buying bonds, that's going to keep driving down yields and pushing you know, the, the, the yields lower and you know, bringing down the yields on U.S. Treasury. But I think that's the, one of the problems for, for central banks right now. They only really control the short end. Yeah, well, uh, well, a few things um, kind of uh, that, that are, you know, very interesting observations from what you just said. Number one is that um, we do have a flat yield curve, so and, and that curve continues to flatten. And today we did see a flattening as well as a decline in, um, in overall yield. So the long end uh, declined even more than the, um, uh, than the short end. So that certainly is not a resounding um, affirmation of, you know, future growth in the economy. Um, the other aspect of it is that, you know, if they do wind up buying as much of the markets as they do, as we have in Japan, those markets start uh, start to function very, very um, – uh, they start to misbehave in, in a way that's very difficult to either analyze and or for the central banks to control. And we saw yields in Japan increase from a percentage perspective after um, the, I guess, disappointing uh, BOJ um, decision as well as the disappointment from the fiscal stimulus perspective. Um, it performed very poorly from a percentage perspective, granted, you know, you went from negative to negative, so financing costs for the Japanese government is still pretty low, but erodes uh, investor confidence in kind of this low-rate environment, you can very easily wind, your, uh, wind up in a situation where it becomes harder for these governments to finance themselves, and that's a big concern, too, because the amount of debt out there um, is quite large that the central banks own, even though we keep talking about a scarcity of government bonds. 
Well, that's if that, scar- if that scarcity of government bonds continues, maybe the central banks can just open up their books and start selling some of them. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, I had hoped that as part of the normalization process, the Fed would start to reduce its balance sheets. Um, you know, and, and again, uh, the perspective is that the central banks are starting are continue to expand their balance sheets, so we're not even getting at that discussion. But they certainly could. Um, it would help normalize the market. It would possibly. Um, get the curve to be more positively shaped, which you know, from a from from an investor perspective, might um, build a little bit of comfort into uh, the future prospects of the economy. But it's a very big house of cards. You talk about the housing market. You talk about um, uh, you talk about a lot of these other sovereign curves that are flattened. Kind of the implications for those moves uh, do become magnified. Thank you very much for spending time with us. Uh, Marvin Lowe is Senior Global Markets Strategist for BNY Mellon, giving us his perspective on the Bank of England's rate decision today and the policy of central banks uh, around the world.